Power Users, Episode 3, Going Paperless. Welcome back to the Mac Power Users Podcast. After the excellent reception to our first two shows on email, David and I decided once again to dig into a topic that's very near and dear to our heart, and that is getting rid of all this paper that we have in our lives. Okay, so why do you want to go paperless? Um, because I'm not the best organizer in real life. I tend to have very messy desktops in terms of the physical desk that I sit at. But for some reason, I can be extremely organized on the computer. And I find that if I get all of this stuff off of my desk and into my computer, I can deal with it and conceptualize it and view it and move it around. Um, that and, you know, also identity theft issues and getting the information secured and the original shredded. What about you? Yeah, I'm a geek, and I like putting things on my computer. Well, that's a good reason. The, uh, we used to put all our bills in organization. We'd buy one of those things at Staples every year, a little box with the, with the hanging folders in it. And every month I'd dutifully put my bills where they belonged. And at the end of the year, I didn't know what to do with them. And, of course, by about July, we stopped actually putting them in the right places. And I realized, I don't know, several years ago that this just doesn't work. So I wanted to find a way to put it on the computer. The other nice thing about scanning, though, is you can back it up in a lot of places. Right. So once you have your uh, paperwork in your computer, you can put it on an external hard drive. You can put it on the cloud if you feel comfortable. You can put a copy on a thumb drive and stick it at your Aunt Bessie's house. So. <laughs> I've got my my important paperwork backed up in two or three places, which is kind of cool because I live across the street from a place that has a lot of wildfires. So it's nice knowing that all my all my stuff is backed up somewhere else. Well, that's true because we always think about you know backing up our precious memories, our videos, our photos, and obviously those are extremely important things. That if anything ever happened, you want all that stuff. But at the same token, if anything ever happened and your house burned down and you lost everything. You really also need a lot of that financial stuff, that paperless stuff, um, and it's a good way just to, to protect yourself from from other things. Now, one of the questions that we've got that I think we want to go ahead and, and address right up front um, is that, yes, David and I are, are both attorneys, and we've had a couple of people ask us, I would say marginally for legal advice on the show, and you know, one email we got was, because we're lawyers, do we have any thoughts on what can be scanned and what can't, and how long should things be kept, and what can you safely shred, and what do you need originals of? Uh, and I think David and I have the same stance on this, and that we are really not going to be able to give out any kind of legal advice on the show, and that's basically just because our malpractice insurers won't let us. And because we're here to have fun and talk about Max. That's true. So. Uh, really on that subject, though, that is a good question, and I would suggest you talk to your accountant or your, your own professionals. I can tell you that every state has different rules. I mean, the federal government has different rules. There's just a lot of different um, requirements for what you keep and what you don't keep. So it would be silly for us to try and make up that advice and tell you what to do because every every state's different so just you know talk to your your own professionals and see what they tell you to do yeah and not just every state i mean obviously this is an international podcast too so every country is exactly different as well um so yeah better talk to talk to some experts about that so i guess step one of going paperless is actually getting stuff in to the mac somehow i've got to take this piece of paper that came in the mail and put it in my mac 
And there are a couple of different ways to do that. Obviously, you're going to need some kind of input device, probably most typically a scanner. Um, and there are a few different types that we're going to talk about. There's uh, the flatbed scanner. Um, there is the sheet-fed scanner, which in the difference is, is pretty much as it sounds. You know, the typical standalone scanners are the scanners that you get with your multifunction devices where you can actually lay something flat on it as a flatbed scanner. Whereas these sheet-fed scanners typically are designed to, to handle stacks of pieces of individual pieces of paper and probably don't do as well with things that, um, you know, like it wouldn't be really good at scanning a page out of a book because you couldn't get that through the scanner. Um, and it's probably not going to be as good as scanning photos or things like that that really aren't designed to go through a scanner like that. It seems like generally the, the advantages of the flatbeds is that they do really good jobs on photographs. They're usually very good scanners and you can get a really good one for like a hundred bucks right uh the problem with the flatbeds for scanning records is they're slow horribly horribly slow even if they have um you know i've got a canon mp530 which is one of those multifunction printer scanner fax things and i think all in all a couple of years ago it cost me less than 200 bucks but it does have a document feeder, and I thought, oh, great, you know, I'll, I'll scan in that my paper. I tried this about a year ago. Um, I've got this big box of, or I had, it's gone now, this big box of paper sitting in my closet that I wanted to get rid of. And I gave up after about three hours of sitting on the floor feeding things into this, this Canon scanner, which is great for photographs and great for, you know, maybe the odd thing here or there, but... Um, trying to put hundreds and hundreds of pieces of paper into it. It, it never fed right. You know, it, it got caught as a double page, as a single-sided, and it just wasn't designed for what I was trying to do with it. Yeah, and, and you, you can set some of those so they scan faster and have a lower quality, but just the physical process of opening the lid, setting the piece of paper, closing the lid, going to the computer, clicking OK, it'll make you crazy. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, but again, the sheet-fed scanners, like you said, aren't really designed for a lot of things that flatbed scanners are. So if you really want to be serious about going paperless, I think you're going to need two scanners. And what is the Cadillac of sheet-beds? I'm sorry, what is the Cadillac of uh, the sheet-fed scanners? Well, I think that would be the Fujitsu ScanSnap. Yes, it is. And David and I are a little biased because we both have... The scan snap. Um, I have the S500M, and I think that's your model too. Yeah, I, mine is about three years old, so it's the it's the Mac version. It's the first one they came out with for the Mac. Right. And uh, it's a it's an outstanding little scanner. So you open it up, it it folds up nice and compactly uh, on your desk. When you open it up, it's a sheet feed scanner, and it will take the pages and it's got a scanning head on both sides as it feeds the paper through. So if you've got a two-sided document, it will get both sides with one pass. And, and, it's, and it, it's fast. It's fast. I, um, I had about 50 pages of uh, correspondence. David, you'll appreciate it. When I was applying to the bar you know, over the course of my law school years, I had saved every document that I'd ever sent them and that they'd ever sent me, and I was terrified to shred it. But I didn't want to keep it, and I just plopped it in, and I hit the button. It was the first time I'd ever used the scanner. Didn't read any manuals, didn't do anything. You know, plopped it in, hit scan, did it perfectly. No double feeds, no missed feeds, um, nothing was askew. It just scanned it through. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but my scan, uh, scan snap has, has made the rounds with my family members. 
they'll see it and they're like, hmm, I actually have a project I could use that for. Yeah, I get piles of paper from people. Oh, they just give you the paper. I said, no, yeah, I don't I want do. your paper. Here's the scanner. Give it back no, to do. me next week. My sister-in-law will bring her taxes over. All right, Dave, take care of it for me. But, uh, you know, the ScanSnap does a lot more, too. It usually corrects, and for some reason it doesn't always do this for me, but generally it will correct the orientation of the text. So if you put something in sideways, it'll straighten it out for you. Right. Um, it opens, for me, directly in preview, but it does come with several applications. Uh, and um, I believe yours even came with some OCR software. It did. Mine... Um came with a well the, the most recent drivers for the scanner itself you can actually download off the internet but mine also came with some bundled OCR software and mine was called Abby Fine Reader uh, which seems to do a pretty decent job the the problem that I have is um, you know OCR still takes a long time and what you would do is you would you know using the ScanSnap management software you would scan something in it would feed it through the OCR software and then it would pop it open in preview or save it to a folder or whatever you told it to do depending on the options um, so that can take a while to OCR stuff in but it's it's great to have that capability and yours came with the Adobe Acrobat as well, correct? It came with Adobe Acrobat 8, which is a, a huge, huge bundle because Acrobat 8, which is actually an older version, but an extremely expensive, very, very powerful program. Although I'll tell you, I haven't used it once, and we'll talk about a little bit why later in the show. But uh, if you think you might need Acrobat 8, and it's, it's a wonderful program, I mean, that alone is probably almost worth the cost of the scanner. Yeah, and I think we're going to at some point do a show just on PDF software, but um, oh that is a that's a point. Um, so the uh, you get the Fujitsu. They've got a couple different models. The one that we're talking about is the desktop scanner, which generally costs about five hundred bucks. Right. I got mine for I think about three fifty on Amazon, but this was a while ago, so I don't know if I just got a good deal or. Uh, I don't know how I got that deal. But. You can find less expensive ones on Amazon. The other thing to note, if you're looking for a deal, is the model that you and I have, the S510M. Um, I'm not sure if it's being phased out or if it's just an older model, but it's been replaced by the new S1500M, which is the I, same street price as mine. So I'm thinking there are probably some deals to be had out there on the 510. One of the nice things about the Fujitsu ScanSnap is it's very popular. I mean, at Macworld... Did you see them there? Oh, absolutely. Spent a lot of yeah, time so, with them. Yeah, so Fujitsu, Fujitsu's got a, a um, booth at Macworld, and they've got a little video booth, and all these people are going to make commercials for Fujitsu talking about how they love their scan snaps. It, it's like a cult. Right, and the 1500 and the 510, the, the higher-end scanners do come bundled with a lot of extra software um, that the S300M does not. I don't believe that that one comes with any OCR software or Acrobat, but double-check their website because I'm sure they're always changing their bundles. But the um, the 300M is much more smaller, much more smaller, that's great, uh, is much smaller. It can actually run off of USB power, so you don't have to carry around an AC adapter. Um, but it is, you know, what you what you lose in in size, you also lose in speed. So it, it is not as fast. It only scans about eight double-sided pages per minute versus about 20 of the scan snap depending on the settings and it doesn't have as large of a document feeder but it's also a uh, reduced price that one's only $295 and again I'm sure that's that's retail price you can find it cheaper elsewhere I was at the uh, ABA tech show and Fujitsu had a scan snap booth there as well and everybody was all excited about it there too 
I think if you want a a home solution and you're willing to spend the money, you really can't go wrong with this device. Right. If you've got something that's going to sit on your desk, yeah. I mean, they, if you're someone though who needs to travel, you may want to look at the the smaller one. Um, or if cost is a factor, you may want to look at the smaller one. Quite frankly, for all the scanning that I've done, um, that initial first weekend where I sat down and scanned probably thousands of pages, I was really glad I had the the bigger scanner with the bigger document feeder. Um, but for my daily scanning here and there, I, I found that the, the 300 probably would have been just as acceptable. At my office, we've got in some IBM sheet feed scanners that we bought several years ago. And uh, they still work. They're a lot slower. They don't do double-sided. But when they die, I'm sure we'll replace them with Fujitsu's. Now, you don't technically have to use a scanner to get this information into your computer. Um, some people will use the built-in EyeSight camera that comes with their Mac, although I admit I don't do a lot of this. Yeah, I mean, you can hold something up to your camera and take a picture of it. You can also do it with a digital camera. Have you heard about this Prismo program? No, but you're going to tell me about it. Yeah, it's it's excellent. It's made by Creasy. Uh, they're the same guys that make Hydra. Um, I think they're in France. Uh, I met them at, at Macworld. Again, they're very nice guys. Uh, but the the head programmer is a guy who has his degree in imaging. So he's uh, really into the... Um, I'm at a loss for the words. He's really into the uh, algorithms for adjusting images on computers. So he's... He's got. He's behind the um, the Hydra software, and now they've got this program called Prismo. And the idea is, if you don't have a scanner and you want to take a picture of a document with your point-and-shoot camera, you can import it into your Mac, and then the Prismo program will allow you to open that picture and adjust a frame specifically around the exact document, and it will try to straighten it, uh, clean it up, and make it in a format that you can save, usually as JPEG. Uh, uh, you so know, you can I view it on I your computer. These guys at Macworld. Yeah, this is sounding familiar now. Yeah, it's it's really pretty impressive. I just started using it today. I think I'm gonna write them and see if I can't do a, a review for it and get get into it in more depth. But if you don't want to spend any money on a scanner, uh, you may want to take a look at this. Right, because most people do have digital cameras. I would imagine this would be better for smaller items like receipts. And although I'm sure it would work on full sheets of paper, I. My guess is it's going to be more difficult to align it and to read everything if, if the image starts becoming smaller. Well, you know, when you think about it, you're carrying around a 6 or 7 megapixel camera in your pocket. That's true. And uh, the alignment process is very easy. I played with it a little bit this morning. And uh, I, I need to really kick the tires more, but it looks like a really good solution. I was thinking even if you do have a scanning uh uh, a nice scanner or a system set up already just to be able to take a picture of something when you're on the run and use that. You know, it's very, first of all, it's kind of like, you know, spy, you know, like, you know, Maxwell Smart kind of neat, but also it's, it'd be useful. Right. And Prismo is thirty nine ninety five, and we'll put a link in the, uh, on the website to their, uh, to their website with all their information. And CreateSeed has nice products and they're, they're very Mac friendly. Now, since you've, you say you've, you carry around a digital camera in your pocket, I don't, but I guess I do because I carry around my iPhone in my pocket wherever I go, and I have used that on multiple occasions 
um, usually most frequently when I'm out with my mother, um, and she mentions, because she, she's so hard to shop for at Christmas time or, or her birthday time, and she'll mention, oh, I like that, and just in passing, and I'll, you know, whip out my iPhone and take a picture of something and save it. Um, and I've also, you know, taken a picture of, uh, you know, a price tag of something so I could get the exact name or description of, of what I was looking for and, um, you know, try to find it later or find it online. Um, but you can also use your, your iPhone as a way to get some of these documents in, although I've not had very good success with the iPhone camera when taking close-up shots of, of small print. And that's where the Griffin Clarify case comes in. I saw Don McAllister had one of these at uh, Macworld. Did you pick up one as well? Yeah, I saw Don's and I had to have one. All right. So what it does, it's got a little slide sliding lens. It's a case for your iPhone. It's black and very simple, but it's got a little sliding lens over the camera lens. So when you want to take a picture close up, you slide the lens over and it changes the focal length to about 10 inches and it takes great pictures of documents. Hmm. It's remarkable how much better it is. And uh, if you're an Evernote user, which we'll talk about in a little bit, it's really helpful. But if you want, so if you want to take a picture of a document with your phone on the iPhone, the current iPhone that is, you will need to get a Clarify case. Yeah, and and of course there's speculation out there that the camera is going to get better on future versions of the iPhone because I think so many people are using it for this purpose, and uh, hopefully it will have its own settings for macro photography as well as normal photography. But we'll see. So what if you're working on a network and you want to get uh, documents scanned in? Right. Well, the difference, obviously, you can do this on a small scale, as in like a home network just between family members, um, or you can do it on a much larger scale, like in a business. On a smaller scale, I've had difficulty um, with Mac-supported scanners working on a local network. The um, If you have a scanner that's specifically designed to work on a network, they're typically much more expensive and you're less likely to see them in the, the home setting. Um, at the same time, you know, if you've got, for example, my Canon multifunction prints beautifully when connected to an airport, but the scanner functions do not work at all. So there are some options out there for wireless scanners, um, but they are significantly more limited on the Mac than they are on the PC right now. Yeah, I think if you're using a Mac, you're going to have to plug it in. Have you ever tried to put your Fujitsu into an airport? You know, I haven't. Me either. I, I don't think it would work, though. No, me either. I'm, I'm all, I, in fact, I would, I would bet real money that it would not work just because I've, I've come across so few scanners that will work. Actually, I haven't come across any, but apparently there are scanners out there that will work when attached to a time capsule. Now, you could, however, have a scanning system in an office or home network, but you would just need a computer attached to the scanner or whatever end it is. Right. And then, of course, you I need got- some way to share that document out. Yeah, and I really think that's more a question of, of getting your network attached storage or your Dropbox or whatever you've got as a depository for those documents. I mean, the scanning process is just the same as if you were working alone. Right. So you could have, uh, for instance, someone in your office with a Fujitsu ScanSnap, and that person could be assigned to scan every piece of paper that comes in. And then the software is very customizable, so you could direct it to drop that scan into somewhere on the network. And then you could have another person or that same person go through and name it or, or put it together. I think the issues you have is, number one, you need a naming convention when you've got multiple people working. And everybody so, has to agree to play by the same rules. Yeah. 
And you have to have a saving convention. You have to have a place to put them. You know, you can't just drop them all in one folder. Uh, depending on what kind of projects you have going on at the office, you want to make sure you put the scans in places that make logical sense and everybody understands. Right. And then you've also got to decide, what do you do with this piece of paper after it's been scanned in? Um, I know a lot of offices that have gone completely paperless, and they scan it and shred it um, immediately. In fact, they have whole workflows dedicated to where somebody scans in, and then it, it goes into the shred box. That makes me a little nervous for some documents, because there's always the... Um, you know, always the possibility of some kind of breakdown in the system or failure or you didn't really get the scan that you thought you got. Um, but that is a policy consideration that you're going to have to take in place, whether it's across the board or whether it depends on document type. So how about when you're at home? How many documents do you keep? I keep nothing. Um, well, I keep some things, but I keep almost nothing. I don't keep bills. I don't keep statements. I don't keep uh, receipts unless, you know, it's a really big purchase item that I'm anticipating something else happening on. Like I'll, you know, I recently bought some furniture and I, of course, scanned in all the information and I kept all the documentation until the furniture was delivered safe and sound. Um, but then I scanned it and, sh and shredded it. Yeah, I'm pretty much the same. My accountant got after me because I pretty much shred everything. So there's a couple things now I keep, but not very much. You know, there's another way you can put scanning in, though. You can send the documents out and have somebody else do it. <laughs> you can, um, although you've got to make sure that you, you trust them or you pay them well, I guess. Yeah, there's a lot of services cropping up. Uh, a lot of it is photography-related, where you can take all your family photos and send it out. Right. And I recently did that and actually was was pretty good. But in terms of your documents, uh, be a little more careful about that, because a lot of times they're sometimes they're even out of the country. And uh, I'm not sure I want all that stuff going out. Well, and there are also services that if you travel a lot that will scan your mail. You know, you have all of your mail routed to a specific P.O. box, um, and it comes in and it gets scanned, and they, they send you the scanned images. You know, it, it is really nice having this stuff scanned in, though. Um, I just know, since I've been doing this for a few years now, that I never lose anything. I don't waste time wandering around the house or the office scratching my head, wondering where something is. And it also really makes it easy to get tasks out of those things. Just like we talked about email, you can pull tasks out of documents you scan in. Right. And one thing I've noticed, especially um, a lot of these, you know, Best Buy or these other retail stores are printing their receipts on this thermal paper. And have you ever pulled a receipt out, especially a receipt for an extended warranty, and a year and a half later, about the time you need it, the piece of paper is completely white? Yeah, I have. Yeah, so that stuff doesn't last very long. It doesn't. I think that's intentional to some degree, but and it's just I've, my conspiracy theory. You know, so I've been doing this for a while, and occasionally I do need a receipt. Um, just recently, I had to take something back to Target of all places, and uh, it, I had had it for two weeks, which meant the receipt was long gone, but it was scanned. And I brought in a printout of the receipt, and they gave me no hassle whatsoever. I don't think I've had anyone give me trouble about bringing in a printout of a receipt. Right. And I know a lot of stores are clamping down on their policies. And, it, you know, you do have to make a decision of, of what you need to, to scan in. For example, I don't scan in my grocery receipts. I don't really, unless it's a business expense or something, I don't really scan in receipts from, uh, you know, when I've gone out to dinner or little things here or there that are just disposable. I uh, 
my my credit card and my uh, well my debit card company is really good about you know as soon as I swipe my card it pretty much shows up on their their online system so as, as soon as I confirm which is usually within a few hours or that next morning that the purchase went through appropriately I I toss the receipt maybe that's not real smart on my part but it hasn't come back to bite me yet I'm pretty much the same way I don't scan most of that stuff unless I know I'm going to need it later. You know, when I look at the things I do scan, I think I probably do more than I need to. Do I really need to have a scan-in of the electric bill every month? I don't know, but I do. That's good, because I don't even get an electric bill in the, in the mail every month. I've I've gone all online with most of my bill pay, which has eliminated a lot of that stuff coming in. Uh, but the beauty about that is is most services, if you agree to go online with them, they will keep PDFs of your your statements for a year back. So I do need to make a point that at tax time, I typically download all my statements and, and make sure that I have them all. Okay, so let's say that you've decided you want to start scanning in a lot of paper and you've got yourself a shiny new scanner of one sort or another and you've got to decide what format to put the scans into. Yeah, it really depends on on what type of document you're you're looking at. You've got... TIFFs, you've got PDFs, you've got JPEGs, you've got PNGs are probably the big ones. And we can we can run through each of them a little bit. Um, TIFF stands for Tagged Image File Format, and it uses different compression types. But um, they all can be a little different. They're different encoders and different uh, compression method methods for TIFF, which is sometimes when you get a TIFF image from someone who may have used some wacky kind of software, it doesn't open. I haven't run into that very often, but it does happen occasionally. I've had that happen. I've had TIFF uh, images not open, and it was explained to me that the problem was in the decoders that they're not they're not all the same. So sometimes you'll get a TIFF image from somebody and it just won't open. And it actually happened to me at work a few times. And, you know, it just takes once or twice. And then I abandoned the format. And, uh, you know, which leads to, I think, the most popular one. And the one I would recommend is is PDF. Right. It's the Adobe Portable Document Format. I think it's become pretty ubiquitous in terms of use. Uh, I think just about anybody can open Adobe. And, and Mac, uh, Apple OS X really supports the Adobe PDF format, you can even print straight to PDF in the print dialog box. Right, or email PDFs, or even, you know, obviously a huge feature with Mac OS X was create your own PDFs from any document. Yeah. That was a, when I uh, switched, I thought that was one of the really neat features, because traditionally on the IBM or PC-based computers, you always have to go buy something to create these PDFs. All right, well, before I went into law, I actually worked in publishing for several years, and um, the hoops that you had to jump through to donate uh, to create a PDF, especially in the publishing world, which is a little more stringent standards, but you know it was like this twelve step process and if you messed up one of the steps or one checkbox wasn 't checked correctly, you know you had to restart everything all over again and it was hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of dollars worth of software in order to to get these PDFs to these exact specifications and and get them uploaded but obviously that 's not necessary for average users. And something to note, uh, not all PDFs are created equal. That's true. I mean, there's all, there's all kinds of data that you can put in a PDF. Sometimes there's actually the text in the PDF. Sometimes there's not. Um, you can have it code the fonts and there's just a lot you can do with a PDF. But for the sake of going paperless, all you need to do is have it in a PDF format. 
And I think the best reason to do that is that I don't think PDF is going away anytime soon. No, I don't. And, uh, you know, one of the concerns you need to have when you start digitizing all of your paper is in 10 years, will there be something that can read this? And if you use some format that's kind of wonky and, you know, the world moves on in 10 years, you need to get some piece of paper and all of a sudden you can't read the file, then you've kind of defeated the purpose. It's absolutely useless. So I think PDF is probably a very safe bet that you are going to be able to read that for a long time. Right. Um, There's also the JPEG, which is the Joint Photographic Expert Group. Um, It can make small files, but it does use lots of compression. So um, most people use these for photos. Most most digital cameras uh, shoot in JPEG, but it, it doesn't do real well for vectors or for diagrams. And it doesn't do well for documents. Absolutely. You know, it, it doesn't scale well. It you know just doesn't keep the quality in the image. So, uh, I think it's great for pictures, but I would avoid it on documents, which is kind of interesting when we talk about Evernote later. But we'll get to that. <laughs> That's one of my uh, my gripes about Evernote. But yeah, yeah. Um, and then there's PNG Portable Network Graphics. It's another one. I think it's good for graphics. Um, it is better uh, at keeping detail than JPEG. But again, I just think that. You're silly to do anything other than PDF when you're uh, when you're dealing with documents. Yeah, I agree. So for photos, keep with JPEGs or TIFFs or something else. But when you're scanning in documents um, that you need to be able to share with people and get easy access to, PDF is the way to go. Yeah. All right. So you you've made a decision. You're making PDFs. You've got all these files you've scanned into your computer. Now, what the heck do you do with them? Yeah, this is the hard part because it, it, you really have to to pick a system and and pretty much stick with it because if you've got some documents in one file system and some documents in another system um, you know it, it may or may not work real well but at the same point I, I think you need to keep in mind that you need to choose the right type of management system for the right type of document what I do for my receipts I may not want to do with my tax returns if that makes sense yeah, it does. I mean, you've got, and, and you're talking about a security question there as well. Absolutely. Um, you know, my receipts, I may not really care if somebody finds a copy of my receipt because most receipts now, I remember that was a real pet peeve of mine in the past, but I think Visa and MasterCard and all require now that most receipts do not contain your entire credit card number. Um, so really, it shouldn't be much, if any, personal identification information on a receipt, but with tax documents, you're, you're ripe for identity theft. Correct. So what are the systems? Oh, well, there are a lot of systems. Um, you can use some kind of nested folder type management system, which I use for some documents. Um, you can actually use a program like even iTunes or Yep or Leap or any of these other kind of uh, file management systems to organize them. And then there's some also very specific systems created with the intention of organizing papers and documents, which would be something more like paperless or networks. Okay, let's go with the nested folders first. Okay. That's my, uh, that's my, I'm kind of old school on this stuff. Uh, so I use the ScanSnap and it goes to a folder called Scanned. And that's actually on my Dropbox uh, uh, space. 
So then I go through and I put them in a series of nested folders. As much as I talked against nested folders with mail, I'm actually in favor of them with scans because it just kind of makes logical sense for me. So I've got a, a, a directory called records, and in it I've got things like utilities and insurance and all that fun stuff. I also have some folders for, you know, just the family. I mean, one of the things I scan are, are artwork the kids do. I mean, I don't throw it all away, but you can't keep it all either. And it'd be yeah, nice. Yeah, your fridge is only so big. Yeah, but it, it's nice that I can go back and look at them. And I figure someday when I'm old and gray, I'll even want to look at them more. Uh, so I've got all these nested folders, and it can be a pain uh, sorting all that out. And the way I got around that was using a great little application from NoodleSoft called Hazel. You know about Hazel? I actually watched Don McAllister's screencast on Hazel this weekend in preparation for the show because I did not know about Hazel, and uh, I am intrigued by it. It's excellent, and it's got a lot of features you can use. But uh, for the purpose of this show, I'm just going to talk about one of them, and it is uh, Hazel can set up a rule, and it can apply it to a specific folder. So my uh, scanned images folder uh, is watched over by Hazel. And what I do is I go through... Once I scan them in, the Fujitsu automatically names them, and it's a date-created and time-created date stamp, essentially. So what I do is I go, and I'll open them up, and I can just use the quick look, you know, the space bar. Hit space bar, it opens up, and here it is, gas bill. And I say, okay, I hit the space bar, and it closes. I hit return, it opens the rename. You know, you can rename a file in OS X simply by selecting the icon and hitting the return key, and I'll type gas bill 2009 05. Which is so, May of 2009. Yeah, exactly. And you always start with your, your year, then your month, then your date for naming conventions. That way, when you sort them, it keeps them in order. Okay. So I, I do that. But then Hazel's watching the whole time. And one of the rules I set up in Hazel said, okay, if an image or if a file appears in his scanned images folder that has the word gas bill in it, then take that file and move it to the nested folder in the records under utilities, under gas bill, under 2009. And Hazel will see that as soon as it appears. It'll take the file, move it over to the nested folder, and I'm done. So you had to do a little thought as you were setting this up because you had to decide, okay, every time I have a gas bill, I'm going to call it gas bill and name it this way. So you probably, I'm sure by now you have a list in your head, but initially you probably had to set up a list of these are all the types of documents that I have and these are what I'm going to call them. Yeah, well, you know, I, I since I do it on the Dropbox, I can access it either on the iMac or on the laptop. And what my my workflow was always... You know, I'd sit at my computer and scan the stuff in. With the scan snap, it takes literally seconds. So it scans in and it saves it to the scan images folder. That doesn't mean I'm going to sort it out right then, but I just get it taken care of with the mail. And uh, so then usually I'll be watching a, a, a baseball game or something, and then that's when I would deal with that. And I would realized, first of all, I was using the same names all the time anyway, and that's just, you know, you just develop that over time. But I was manually copying them over. And I said, you know, there's got to be a better way for it. And then it occurred to me, I don't know, about a year ago that I just use Hazel for this. And now that the rules are created, it takes almost no time at all. Right. Hazel seems like a great little program. It's definitely one I'm going to check out. It is uh, twenty one ninety five, um, and you can get it from their website. We'll have a, a link in the show notes. I use nested folders as well, but uh, very limitedly. I use one of these uh, document management programs that we'll talk about later for most of my basic documents and basic receipts and things that I don't really – well, I mean, I, I would care, but it wouldn't 
it wouldn't keep me up at night if these got out somewhere because you know I'm I'm a little bit nutty about data security. Yeah, and we we kind of skipped over that a little bit. So what do you do when you have something that is important not to get out there? Well, that's why I use the nested folder system for all of my important documents, my statements, my tax forms, my uh, anything I get that basically has my name and social security number on it or any other kind of pretty much any any information um, above my address is is going to be treated with more scrutiny. And I use a series of nested folders, but I have created that series of nested folders inside a secure disk image. Um, and I think we've talked about that uh, probably not on this show, but certainly elsewhere, that you can use disk utility on the Mac to create. I create an encrypted uh, sparse bundle, and the sparse is so my folder can grow or my disk image can grow to a certain size. For example, I think I've got my sparse bundle set um, at 5 gigs, so it can grow up to be 5 gigs, but it will only grow as it needs to. So if I've only got um, 500 megabytes worth of data in there, that sparse bundle is only going to be 500 megs, plus a little overhead, um, obviously, for organization. Um, and then I've got it set it up as a sparse bundle file, and the bundle is so that it um, it backs up in, um, I don't know if you would call them streams or waves or uh, bands, I think is how it, it talks about it. So that um, because this is a folder or a sparse bundle that I'm obviously working in quite a bit, you know, it's something that's going to get picked up by Time Machine. It's going to get picked up by Mosey and all of that all the time. Yeah, I did a screencast on how to create a sparse image, a secure sparse image, at the Max Sparky screencast. But if you just Google it on the web, there's a lot of places that explain how to do it. And the advantage of it is just that, the security. It locks itself up when you close it. And it's it creates an image on your desktop. It, you mount it like another drive. Right. And the fact that it's sitting there on your desktop also, you know, it, it attracts your attention. So when you're done using it, you're like, oh, yeah, I should probably put that away, which you should for security reasons. And the other reason I like using the sparse bundle, uh, the secure disk image from Apple is because it's a built in Apple utility. You're not relying on some third party system that may or may not be here next year. So to summarize, what you do is you create a sparse image and it, you give it a, a, a size and we open it up and it looks like just another drive on your computer. And in it, you can copy the tax files and the documents that you want to keep secure. Right. In it, I have a series of folders for, for different things, but very similar to your nested series of folders um, that certain documents go into organized by, um, you know, kind of category and then subcategory and then year and so forth and so on. And then when you right-click and eject that, then that dismounts the sparse image. Right. And even if, worst-case scenario, if somebody managed to get a hold of my computer, managed to log into my user account, managed to pull off my data, they're definitely not going to be able to get what's in that sparse image. And also, very important, I do not save the password to the sparse image uh, in my keychain. Yeah, that that pretty much defeats the purpose. It does, yeah, especially because your keychain by default is the same password as your account password. So now I used to do that, but um, about a year and a half ago, I went and bought the PGP application. Okay. So my so my whole drive is encrypted at this point, and uh, it seemed to me like an, an unnecessary extra step. Right. Uh, my main reason was the PGP equipment is great, and I think you and I have talked offline about that, and we may do a show on that in the future. 
Um, but my concern is is also because I'm I'm ultra paranoid. You know, I've got this stuff backing up other places. I've got it backing up to my time capsule. I've got a clone backup, and some of those things I understand would not be encrypted. Yeah, and you're right. But uh, you know, the point that I think you made when I said that is, well, you know, if someone breaks into your house and steals your time capsule or whatnot, you've got bigger issues. Yeah, that's pretty true. <laughs> um, and you know, the, there's a, a lot of different encryption. Uh, ability out there, but I really think you're right. Though the system you're using is real simple, it's built in, it doesn't cost any money, and it does the job. So that that's a good way to do it. Uh, where do you keep your backups? Where do I keep my backups? Oh boy, yeah. uh, we could do a whole show on backups. Um, obviously, I think we will. I, well, I think we will. I have the yeah. original on my Mac, um, and yeah. then I have a clone backup that runs automatically every night at nine thirty. Uh, a clone backup to an external hard drive. And then I also have a time capsule, which backs up everything on my computer. So I've got both the time capsule and the cloned backup. And then I also use the Mosey online backup service uh, for really, although I recently upgraded to Mosey Unlimited, um, previously I had kept just my mission critical files up on Mosey, um, but now I keep more. But that definitely goes up there because, you know, absolute worst case scenario I go out to the grocery store one day and come back and my entire house is burned to the ground I'm still going to be able to pull that data you know from Mosey or from somewhere else I think the important point is when you're scanning documents is that you have one offsite backup absolutely yeah and, you, uh, you have to look not only not only at security but also from the from the standpoint of someone you know taking your documents or looking at your documents, but also from the standpoint of you know loss or destruction. I have a friend who uh, she's got a MacBook and she has a uh, time machine you know drive she attaches to it, and she doesn't have any offsite backup. And I kept niggling her about it, and she didn't know what to do. So finally, I just set her up with a free Dropbox account because she it was only really about two gigs of stuff that she really needed. And she syncs that up to the cloud. I mean, that's better than nothing. Right. But you should have it somewhere. And, you know, hard drives are just so darn cheap. If you get one, uh, you can encrypt a hard drive or just make a big encrypted file on it. And you can take it to work or leave it with mom or do something. But you should have, especially if you're going to get into going paperless and scanning all these records, you should have it somewhere other than where you live. Right. And and the other thing I do for that even extra level of backup is I've got an old hard drive. Um, I probably go visit my parents once a month, once every couple of weeks at least. And um, I, I do a clone backup of my laptop while I'm at their house and, you know, leave that locked up with them. Okay, so I am, so am ultra paranoid. Yeah, I think you and I both are. So Getting back probably, to going paperless. Yeah, so we, we've got the nested folder system, which is my general uh, system. Uh, there, there are some software that you can use with it. One application that I like, and I, I bought a license for this a long time ago, it's called Yep. Are you familiar with that? I have used yet. I, in yeah, fact, it, I use it to browse my secure documents in my nested folder system. Yeah, I would call it iTunes for PDFs. Or iPhoto yeah. for PDFs. Yeah, you know, that may be a better way to put it. And it does a really good job. It tags the images based on the folders they reside in. So if you do have nested folders, you're going to have an automatic set of tags. Which works and, very well for you, I would imagine, with your – you've got both you know type and date and month and – so forth exactly. And, so on. and um, you can also go in and manually tag it. But my whole thing with tagging is I just never take the time to do it. 
and I don't want to stop and go through each document and tag it. So uh, this allows me to avoid that. Uh, but it does give you the option if you want it. And it makes it really easy to view them and pull them up. Um, I just think it's a great little application to manage if you've got a big set of PDFs. Right. And Yep is fairly inexpensive as well. It's $34, and we'll put a link in the show notes um, to where you can find it. And I believe there's also all of the software that we're talking about. There are some uh, trial versions available, so you can try and see if you like it uh, before yeah. you commit to it. And you know, I was I was going to say the, the beauty about your nested folders inside nested folder system is that it's free. But yeah. um, you know, you, then you add all these little extras on, which 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 could increase the price. But I guess it's not necessary. No, yeah, you don't need Hazel, and you don't need Yep to do this. Uh, I just like Hazel because it makes it so much faster. Sure. And, uh, and then uh, also by the same makers of Yep is a program called Leap, which I actually have not used, but I understand you use it. Uh, I've used it off and on. I, I reviewed it at Max Barkey a while ago. It's it's really much more than a document organizer. It's kind of a new paradigm on the Finder. And if you're a tag person, it's just the way to go. I mean, it's it's it allows you to organize everything by tags and and drill by tags. Um, you really just have to try it. It's kind of difficult to explain. Um, they've got some good videos on their website, but. It will go through and organize your documents by type and by sort and by tag. And then when you open the program, you can say, okay, give me all the PDFs that involve this tag, you know, at work or at home or the gas bill and sort them by date. And it will pull everything together for you. And it does it with documents, you know, Word documents, keynotes, uh, anything you've got, it'll organize. And um, there's just much more to it than, than Yep. But if you're looking for kind of an all-around solution, you should definitely take a look at Leap. Right. And that's $54, also at Ironic Software. And they've actually got a deal on their website. They're calling it their uh, recession deal, that if you buy uh, Leap, which is the more expensive product, for an extra 10 bucks, you then get all of their products. So that's not a bad deal, because you can get Yep and a whole lot of other stuff for only 10 bucks more. Yeah, that's a, if you're going to use Leap, spend the extra 10 bucks because Yep is worth it. Right. Uh, and this next uh, software, I think we actually had a listener write in and tell us about. I, I wasn't aware of it before um, before we yeah, were doing e our research. Exact scan, and um, that we're going to put a link on in the uh, in the show notes. Uh, it's uh, somewhere out of Europe. It's eighty nine euros, and it uh, supports a lot of scanners. And it's basically a, a software application that straightens your images, does OCR. It's it's a software management application for scanning. Right. I haven't tried it yet. Have you? No, I've not tried it, though. I have done some research on their website. And it looks like it's going to work with, um, you know, a, a lot of different scanners. Uh, it's got some nice features for cleaning up and organizing your photos. Or not your photos, but your scan documents. Um, so Maybe it's kind of that, that next step. And I don't think I use it very much because my ScanSnap does a lot of this automatically. Exactly. I think it, uh, I have the same issue. Because I bought the fancy scanner, I don't really need it. Right. Another nice uh, document management program is Eagle Filer. Which is um, from one of my favorite companies, C-Command. Uh, those are the people who brought you SpamSiv. And I think that just about everything this developer does is um, you know, wonderful. It may not be as pretty and as gooey and all of this other stuff as some of these other Mac apps, but um, what this guy does, he does very well. Yeah, it's really, it's rock solid. And the nice thing about Eagle Filer is you can open separate files for separate projects. Um, 
for instance, if I wanted to take files for specific projects at work, and if I dump them all into Yep, it's going to combine all of them into one library. Right. And you could have separate libraries, but it's kind of a pain. Eagle Filer makes it easier to to keep a per project file. And, you know, the disadvantage is you can't mix them all together, but that's also the advantage. Right. And it looks a lot, if you open it up, it, it looks a lot like um, Apple's Mail app. You know, it's it's got overall, you know, kind of a hierarchical structure with projects and folders and uh, multiple ways to tag things and smart folders. And, um, you know, it's, so it's, it's again, it's kind of like an, a, a mail for organizing all of your your stuff besides mail. I think the question with all of these things is how much more work do you want to put into it after you get it in? And that's supposed to be the, the idea is that you get this is it's supposed to make your life easier, not make your life harder by managing all this stuff. Although I will admit it's a lot more fun to organize stuff on your computer than it is to organize actual paper in real life. Yeah. And, you know, it is one of the nice uh, uses for tagging. Right. What about Dev and Think? Um, I've used it in the Which past, app? but not much. Um, I think they, I, I used a demo or a trial version, but Dev and Think has been um, around for a long time, and it, it really is a lot more than PDF management. It will store pretty much everything, um, you know, documents, things that you've scanned in, email messages, bookmarks. It's It's kind of like a collection place for everything that is related to a specific project or a specific topic. Yeah, in some ways, using DevonThink just to manage your scanned images is like hitting a thumbtack with a sledgehammer. Yeah, it seems it seems to be overkill. What it does, it does does very well. Um, but I think it it's really overkill for this particular purpose. Although, depending, you know, and that's the other thing that we should talk about is just like with managing email managing your scan documents is going to be very different for every person depending on how their environment is set up, how their mind works, how they like to organize things. Um, I mean, everybody has different methods of doing things, and some things just click and make more sense uh, to one person versus another. Yeah, and that's the nice thing about the Mac is there are so many applications that manage this stuff out there. Right. I think Dev and Think is kind of like OmniFocus. It's one of these things where you either... You either you know dive in all the way or you pass. Yeah, it doesn't seem like this is a program that you can go halfway in. Otherwise, and you it's, can it's not going to make a lot of sense. Then you can get that at Devon Technologies, and we'll put the link in. And the pricing ranges from fifty dollars to one hundred and fifty, depending on on exactly what you need and what you use it for. Yeah. So the next two items that we're going to talk about um, is kind of really my area because I, I had a dilemma recently with both of them. And these are both documents that are really designed specifically for this purpose that we're talking about, to manage receipts, to manage documents, to manage this paper stuff that you get into your computer. And uh, one of them is NeatWorks by Neat, and the other is Paperless, which is formerly Receipt Wallet. Um, have you had much experience with either of these programs? Yeah, I've worked with Neatworks, but uh, I understand you've had kind of a smackdown at your house between these two. <laughs> I have had a smackdown at, at my house. Um, Neat is a program that I, I've heard about before on the PC, obviously, and they had a Neat Receipts for Mac that came out before Neatworks that just basically managed receipts. Um, 
And this is a product that I really wanted to love. And uh, got a demo version of their new Neatworks 2.0 product, which was coming out at Macworld. And I absolutely hated it. I mean, this was the product that as soon as I got off the plane and landed, you know, even though it was midnight, I rushed up and installed it on my computer and started trying to scan stuff and because I so wanted to love this product. But the 2.0 release um, did not work as well in real life as it was advertised. I found that the software was buggy. There were a lot of key things that, that didn't work. Um, you know, and a lot of real deal breakers. It's like, okay, well, if I can't do this, then I'm not using this because this doesn't work the way that I want it to. Um, I think part of the problem with that was at Macworld, they had a looking demonstration. Yeah. And they were running, they were running some letters and some business cards and it, and the idea between behind Neatworks is it will look at the card and it will pull out the data. It will pull out the name, the phone number, the email, and it'll actually parse that data and put it into your address book for you. I've never had that work well. Yeah. But at Macworld, it looked great. Oh, absolutely. You know, so you had these really high expectations, and you get home, and you plug it all in, and, and it's more trouble than it's worth. You could literally sit down and type the, the information in from the card faster than you could scan it, sort it, fix it, and put it, and then transfer it over. I mean, it, I found it was faster just to type the information in myself. Right. So I, I immediately discounted that and then started looking at it more for receipt and document management. And like I said, I, I ran into all these bugs initially. Uh, and quite frankly, I, I haven't looked at it since January until we were prepping this show. Um, but I knew that we were doing this show on paperless. So a couple of days ago, I started digging back into it and looking at it more in depth. Um, and they've since updated it. Um, I'll double check and, and tell you what the, the current version is. Um, but they they fixed a lot of bugs, and you know I I opened this program a couple of days ago thinking okay I'm going to hate this, and uh, that'll give me something interesting to talk about on the show, and it was a whole lot better. Um, I'm using 2.1.4 currently, and a lot of the bugs that that were deal breakers for me in the past um, have been fixed. And I think this is actually a solution I could use now, which is a big step up from I don't ever want to see this again, which was my initial impression a couple of months ago. Now, the Neatworks, how does it save the documents? Well, that was, that was one of my big concerns. Neatworks saves everything as PDFs. Um, you have a Neatworks library, which, um, you know, just like you would have a receipt wallet library, which is actually a package file. And that concerned me at first because I'm like, wait a minute, I don't want my documents in anything proprietary. Um, but that that package file I've actually got stored inside my documents folder. I've got a, a databases folder, which kind of holds all of these databases. And if you, you right click and you say show package contents, all of your PDFs, although they're in an awkward naming convention, um, but all of your PDFs live there. Um, they're named things that are completely useless should you ever want to pull them out. But um, worst case scenario, should the program cease to be supported or completely be discontinued, um, all of your documents are at least accessible. And that's very important to me is that, um, you know, my 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 solution really needs to have longevity so that I'm not tied to any particular company and that if this company goes out of business, I can still have access to my documents. So everything that you scan into Neatworks, it, it syncs up with the ScanSnap, and they've got solutions that if, as soon as you put something in the ScanSnap and, and hit the scan button, it goes into your, your Neatworks inbox. 
and it will perform OCR on everything that comes in, and you've got some settings that you can choose from, whether you want it to just bring in the image and skip the OCR, whether you just want it to OCR the first page, or whether you want it to OCR everything. And I'll tell you, the OCR has not been great at picking up information on receipts initially. A lot of times it will give me a subtotal as my total, um, or it will get the name of the store wrong, but um, I tend to shop at a lot of the same places, so after you've corrected it once or twice, it remembers what you've corrected, and it becomes much more reliable. And, you know, after my first two or three receipts from Target, um, every subsequent receipt it's gotten correct, you know, so it, it learns from its mistakes and, and when you correct it and put in correct information. Um, so and they sell... And they also bundle the hardware, right? They well, you can you can buy it with hardware or without. They've got a um, the the software package itself is ninety nine dollars, but it's almost always um, on sale for seventy nine. And they can actually bundle it with um, one hundred ninety nine dollars. So for an extra hundred bucks, you get their mini scanner, which is a really cute little um, like wand size paper scanner. And then they've also got a larger scanner, which is probably designed to compete with the scan snaps, uh, which is a desk scanner. I'm sorry, did you just say the scanner was cute? It is cute. Have you seen it? Yeah, but it's I just never associated those two words together. Okay. Well not the not the big old clunky desk scanner, but the little one's cute. Yeah, the the big scanner looks kind of interesting. It's got like a special feature on it for business cards and a little bigger one for maybe receipts and then a wide one for 8.5 by 11 paper. But, man, it would be really hard for me to give up my scan snap. I I haven't spoken to anyone that's used one of these neat scanners, but I'd be curious to hear what they thought. Right. I actually sent them a letter. I actually sent them a letter at one point saying if they want me to do a comparison, but they weren't interested, I guess. Oh, well, they're a um, but the software package works a lot better now than it did before, and it will. The the thing that I really like about it is it you can manage everything within one software package. So I have my receipts in one package, and my documents are all in a different collection, but within the same software package. So the idea is that everything you scan in can go into NeatWorks, um, and and you can see it all together without opening different packages and different libraries. Um, the concern that I, I did have, obviously, is, is security. I would not put my most important uh, sensitive documents in here um, because there's, you know, it, it is easy to get access, get access to the original PDF files um, or even just to open up the library. I didn't see that there was a, any option to password protect or anything like that. So while it works for all of my non-sensitive stuff, you know, I'm still going to use that nested folder structure for all of my really sensitive documents. Sounds like, though, you're, you're starting to like NeatWorks. I am. I, it, it's growing on me. Um, what I've really been comparing it to um, the whole time is a product that's now called Paperless, was formerly called Receipt Wallet, and I loved, loved, loved this product. Um, it is easy, it is inexpensive, and it's a Mac product, so it is very... Mac friendly. Um, Neatworks is a product that was initially designed for the PC that was ported over to the Mac, and it feels like it. Uh, Receipt Wallet slash Paperless is a product that was designed on the Mac to be a Mac product, and you can definitely, you know, things on it make sense. You you can drag and drop to rearrange 
um, you know, pages, if you have a multi-page document, uh, you hit the space bar and it opens up a quick preview of something. You know, all very Mac-type things that, that Neatworks doesn't do. You know, you don't really have to read the manual on paperless because you just think, okay, this is what it should do, and you hit a button and it is what it is. it does do. Um, it also works with the ScanSnap, which is a big plus. It previously worked with the Neat Scanners, but I understand now that there might be some bugs. And I don't know whether that's a bug in the program or whether Neat is now trying to prevent it, um, or we'll see. Um, the, the new Paperless um, does have one gripe from me in that it uses separate libraries for documents and receipts. This would probably be the perfect product um, if they were merged together so that I could see all of my documents and receipts within one library. Um, and the OCR capabilities aren't as good as other products. Um, the OCR engine they're using, I believe, is an open source OCR engine. And it's, it's, it's just not up to par with Neatworks or some other OCR engines. But this product, I think, what it does, it does extremely well. It's got a low barrier to entry. It's only $45. Um, and this is really version 1.0 since it's now been taken over by Mariner Software. Um, it was originally d uh, done by a single developer. I actually in uh, interviewed him on my podcast, and it was kind of his you know, side hobby project, and it was great. Um, but now that it's been taken over by Mariner, I don't know whether he's, he's still working with them or not. Uh, I think this, project, this, this product has potential to explode and um, you know, get a lot of the extra features and bells and whistles that Neatworks does. So... This is definitely one to watch. So what's your verdict at this point? Neatworks or paperless? I don't know. Um, I am leaning towards Neatworks only because it has more built-in capabilities and it has more bells and whistles and can do more things. And the merge document and the OCR capabilities um, are, are superior to paperless. But I really want to use paperless. Um, because it's such a Mac-like product, and I've had such good results with it in the past. And, you know, the other thing it, it really comes down to is, is longevity. I think Need is a company that has um, a, a lot of, of backing and name recognition. Paperless, not as much. Um, but the thing I like about Paperless is, you know, you can always get your documents out. It stores everything as, as PDFs. I really don't like the way the Neatworks library is put together. I know you can crack it open and pull the PDFs out, but they're not named properly. No. They're not sorted. I mean, you really are stuck using their software if you want to keep any type of organization. Or in years to come, you're going to have to go through and rename and reorganize all of that stuff, which is like getting a root canal for the hell of it. Right, right. So we'll see. I mean, I think they both have potential. Um, I think Neatworks can be very successful on the Mac, if they they realize that um, you know it needs to be a Mac product through and through, not a PC product that they ported to the Mac as an afterthought. Yeah, there's some other applications too. Uh, Yojimbo is one of them. Mm -hmm. Love Yojimbo. Uh, yeah, me too. I, you know, I don't really use it as much. I, when I first, I used to use it a lot, and I've kind of over the years left it. But it's another one that has kind of a proprietary database. But it does some OCR when you put the documents into it. And um, if you, it syncs over your mobile me account, which is kind of neat. If you have multiple computers, it, everything pops up. But you know that ha has been kind of replaced by Dropbox and some of the other syncing services. Um, what do you think of Yojimbo? 
Yojimbo, I don't use for this purpose. I don't use it for document management and receipt management. Yojimbo um, and Evernote, too, which we'll talk about in a minute, are products that I use for what I call everything else. You know, things that don't have a specific place to live on my Mac and would otherwise be stray off somewhere, um, but yet information that I need need to have accessible, I put in Yojimbo and in Evernote. Yeah, I think that's definitely true for Yojimbo. I'm not really sure if it's really a document organization solution. Evernote, though, you probably could get away with it. Yeah, so you probably use Evernote uh, more for this purpose than I do. Um, but Evernote has this this great syncing service, not only with itself on multiple versions of the Mac, but it also syncs up with the cloud, and they actually have a paid version of Evernote that you can use to pull copies of your documents um, off of their website. Yeah, well, Evernote syncs not just with the Mac, it syncs with the PC, it syncs with the iPhone. That's right, yeah, it syncs with everything. Um, it does OCR, optical character recognition, in the cloud, but only on JPEG images. It doesn't do it on PDFs, and that, that to me is almost a deal-breaker. Right. And, and you but, said yet. It doesn't do OCR well, on PDFs yet. I keep hearing rumblings because um, I complained about it, and they said, oh, we're working on it. You know? So I know at some point they're going to figure that out, and that may reopen my, my use for Evernote. If you get a paid account, it's $5 a month or $45 a year. It gives you the secure connection when you're transferring data. It allows you to upload up to 500 megabytes a month. And you can sync documents and files. So you can sync attachments. So it becomes much more of a, uh, a solution at that point. I think their iPhone application is excellent. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, it allows you to record voice notes. And you know, Evernote is really a neat product. Uh, the problem for me is I haven't really figured out where it fits. You know, I, I did get a paid subscription just because I, I thought it was so cool. But I don't really want to keep all my documents in the Evernote database. I'm not sure I feel safe with that yet, and I don't know really why I would say that. But that's, well, I you know. I feel the same way. Even if I were to upgrade to the secure, safe version, I'm still not going to put my taxes up there. Oh, definitely not. And the um, the idea of uh, the OCR is great, but because everything I work in is PDF, it doesn't really. I don't get the benefit of OCR because you'd have to send up JPEG images of your documents, which I don't want to do. Right. And, you know, so it's a neat product, and it's great for keeping information. And once again, it's kind of like Yojimbo in a certain way. You can put little snippets in there. But I still haven't really figured out where it all fits. But I don't think it is a document management solution. But I'm sure there's some people that are, are using it that way and perfectly happy with it. All right. I use um, Evernote, and I do not have the pay version because I don't use it that much. But I use it for um, bits of information that I will need to access later. I do have some documents um, for example, I have issues we, um, you know, if I have instructions or multi-step instructions for things that I have to repeat occasionally, um, like we have this really complex system for e-filing documents with the court um, that I actually had my secretary type me out. I said, okay, type me out instructions for how we do this because she almost always does it. And, you know, inevitably when I go into it, I have issues. You know, so I clipped that into Evernote. Um, I have lots of notes going in Evernote. Um, I've got, you know, my gift list is in Evernote. I probably shouldn't tell people that. Otherwise, they'll be trying to get into my Evernote account. But, you know, as I come across something I think somebody would like as a gift for Christmas or their birthday, I, you know, keep a running tab of, you know, gift ideas for so-and-so, and I'll clip things that I see. Because it's got a clipper that you can clip things from Safari and from other places. Um and I also, I, I use it a lot for, um, you know, I've got all my recipes in there. But, you know, recently um, we, uh, 
my grandfather um, had surgery and um, I was traveling with him and I threw a lot of the information that was not confidential into Evernote so that I would have easy access to it on my iPhone no matter where I was. He had a a series of appointments and um, certain things that we had to do at certain times and contact information for certain people um, and trip plans and itineraries and when everybody was arriving and departing. And I threw all of that information into Evernote and tagged it. Um, and, you know, more than one occasion I was sitting in the hospital and was, you know, pulling up information on my phone, uh, which yeah, was but see, n- none of that involves going paperless. None of that involves going paperless. Yeah, and I think that's just the thing with Evernote. I, I don't know that it's really a good solution for storing your documents. We'll see. I mean, once they get the PDF uh, OCR in, you may say, well, why not? You know, then, then it's because one of the questions we're going to deal with in a bit is how do you OCR this stuff? Right. And and that would make that'd be a nice automatic solution, but they need to they need to put that piece of the puzzle in. Right. How about you know we've kind of touched on the topic of tagging as we've gone through these various applications. Um, how much of a role does tagging play in your system? Um, not a lot. Um, you know, in my nested file and folder system, I, I don't really need tags or yep automatically tags based on my nested things. Um, I don't do a lot of manually tagging. Both um, paperless and Neatworks will kind of remember, um, you know, for example, things that I buy from Target are typically in the home category. Um, you know, things that I buy from Publix are typically in the, you know, food and meals category. Um, so it will remember a lot of that and kind of do some automatic tagging, but I, I don't do a lot of manual tagging. Yeah, I love the idea of tagging, but I just never am able to follow through with it. I still have time. Yeah, no, I, I agree. The uh, OCR. Okay. So OCR is optical character recognition. And the idea behind OCR is that um, it will take these documents that we as humans can read, but you know, a lot of times you can't copy and paste the text out of a PDF, or um, it, and it will go through and it will read it and it will... Um, save that information, you know, just like if you have a pages document, if you've done a report on, um, you know, Mount Rushmore and you, you've got Mount Rushmore mentioned in the report, when you do a spotlight search for Mount Rushmore, it will find your report. But OCRing can also be a great use when used with spotlight because it will go through and review the contents of your document. So David, if you wanted to type in, you know, gas company, whatever your gas company is, is Spotlight would find your utility bills. Yeah, I mean, the, the important point is when your computer scans in a document, it's no different than scanning in a picture in terms of the computer. It's just an image. Right. And uh, even if you put it in a PDF, it just comes in as an image. So it doesn't know the difference between a picture of my gas bill and a picture of my kids. So the idea between OCR is some type of software solution that will look at that picture and and recognize text in it and index that text. And once you've done that, the Spotlight system in Mac OS X will allow you to search it. So not only could I search gas bill, I could search a specific line in the gas bill, you know, um, and it would find that text out of the bill. Um, It's a great idea, um, but I think it's kind of a little overdone. I mean, how often do you really need to OCR the stuff you're scanning in when you're going paperless? I would say I OCR less than a quarter of what I scan in. Let's see. I would say probably less than 10%. Okay. Um, you know, I don't, I don't scan much in terms of OCR. I just well, don't Well, I'll tell it. you, I, I don't OCR any of my receipts. 
Yeah. It's more documents that I'm scanning in that I will OCR. In terms of uh, my personal records, it's very rare that I need to OCR anything. With my work-related documents, it's a little different. And um, we're going to kind of go through our workflows later, and I'll explain how I do some OCR that way. But if so, for me, OCR is a, is a as-needed basis type of system. Um, I know some people like to scan everything that they put in for OCR. And that was a challenge we had from one of our listeners said, okay, I want a system that allows me to scan it in and just have it automatically OCR. Oh, and this is the challenger that like set everybody running in multiple different directions too. Yeah, you would be surprised. So, you know, we were talking about how to deal with it. And um, fortunately, uh, you know, we're both friends with the people over at Smile on my Mac. And they make a great application called PDF Pin and PDF Pin Pro which is, uh, for most purposes, just as good as Adobe Acrobat, but $400 cheaper. Oh, I, in fact, you know, when I mentioned previously that I got this copy of Adobe Acrobat with my ScanSnap and have never used it, it is because I use PDF Pen Pro. And the new version of PDF Pen and PDF Pen Pro have a um, OCR capabilities built in. So you can have a PDF document, click the OCR button, and the software will go through and find all the words for you. So we wrote our friends at Smile on Mac and said, okay, how are we going to do this in a way where it's automatic? And uh, so we started talking to them, and they came up with an Apple script that you can script it to, uh, to go in. And we're going to maybe do a show on Apple script at some point, but the Reader's Digest version is Apple scripting is basically the programming language built into every Mac that allows programs to talk to other programs or to script specific commands in a program. So you can use an Apple script to tell one program to grab an address name, then go to another program and insert that address into a field and print it. So uh, the folks at Smile My Mac came up with an Apple script that does an OCR. And then I wrote them back and said, that's great, but we want to automate it. Can we do it with a folder action? And uh, then they, they wrote back, like within two days, they came up with an Apple script that we can put into a folder action. And the way that works is, and we're going to put specific instructions. I think I'm going to do a post on the um, Mac I'll do one at Mac Sparky too. That says, you know, how to do this step by step. But you can create a folder on your computer where, and you can attach it to this Apple script that the folks at Smile on My Mac did. And you can drag documents into this folder and it will automatically load PDF pin, do the OCR on the documents, save the documents, and then go to the next one, and it'll clear out the whole folder and, and save scanned copies, OCR copies of all those images. So you see how much trouble you caused just by writing into the Mac Power Users podcast? Well, I think it's great that they, <laughs> no, they were so No, it definitely is. It definitely yeah. is great, yeah. yeah the, um, one of the problems we have is a couple. Number one is the, the version of PDF Pin. Apple scripting has to be built into the program, so it doesn't come automatically. The programmers actually have to teach the program to read Apple Script. Well, they realized in making this this great little Apple script is they don't have a command in PDF pin that tells it when the scan, the OCR is done. So they put in, I think it's a 15-second timer. So it does the OCR, and it waits 50, 15 seconds, and it does the next one. So a future release of PDF pin, whenever that comes out, is going to build in that new Apple script command to tell it when the scan is completed. Are you with me so far? I'm with you. Okay, so that means it'll go a lot faster once they have that command in. But for now, they have it. So the idea been, is that you don't wait for documents that are really short and for documents that are really long, it doesn't time out. Exactly. Gotcha. And so I've, I've set up the, um, 
this the uh, folder action I've been playing with it it's it's a little buggy still to be honest it, it needs some work but it's a start you know it, it doesn't always seem to work for me yeah but um, they also it, created this kind of on a whim because we asked them so I'm sure future implementations that are for real in real products will will work a lot better yeah but there is a so that we do have a Mac power users generated solution coming your way where you can set up a uh, a folder on your desktop or somewhere on your Mac where if you drag images to it it will OCR them for you um, there's other ways to do it too. Evernote we talked about. So if you save a JPEG image to Evernote, they do the OCR for you in the cloud, which is really kind of neat. Right, but they only do it on JPEGs, like we said, not PDFs. Yeah. Um, what? Likewise, Adobe Acrobat has a good OCR system built in. But it is very expensive. Exactly. And um, then there's a program called that I use called Read Iris. And um, I got that... Um, at Macworld, I was talking to the um, Fujitsu guy a, a couple years ago. I said, hey, you know, I love my Fujitsu scan snap, but I was an early adopter. And now you guys are giving all this great package software. How come, you know, where's the love for the original buyers? And he had mercy on me. And he sent me this thing in the mail. It's um, called Read Iris, and it's a great OCR package. And that's all it does. You drag a PDF into it, and it does a fantastic job of the OCR on it. But it's, it's, there's no way to automate that to do a whole folder. But if I really need to, to do a good job on going through and pulling all the words out of a document, I can do it through Read Iris. And I was unable to find the price for this, but we will get it by the time the uh, show goes up on the uh, show notes. Right. And I use the Abbey Fine Reader, which is similarly was bundled with my ScanSnap. Um, and I, I usually use it if I'm scanning something I know that I do want to OCR. I'll, I'll have it automatically go from the ScanSnap into uh, Abbey Fine Reader and let it do that. And then anything that I need to OCR subsequently, I can either drag and drop over there and it will spit it out when it's done, or I can open up in PDF pen. Um, and I don't, you know, probably like David, I said less than 25%. It's probably a lot less than that actually, but a lot of it I'll either do on the fly as I'm doing it, um, or I'll do the individual document here or there. Um, and then for some stuff, you know, um, Neatworks does its own OCR. Yeah. I just looked up read iris, uh, is $129 which is a lot of money for um, doing the OCR. Right. But it, it sends it out to Word and Excel. It does a lot of interesting things. If you really want to get geeky with doing OCR, it's, it's worth looking at. So for work, I need to do some OCR, even though I don't do very much at home. And the way I do it there is I use uh, have the office staff do the Adobe Acrobat thing. And it's kind of maddening that Adobe sells a very good product, the Adobe Acrobat standard for on the PC for about a hundred bucks, but on the Mac they only sell the Adobe Acrobat Pro, which is like five hundred bucks. I don't understand why they do that, but you know, it gives a good opportunity to PDF pin, which I think for most purposes is just as good anyway. So at work we have the Adobe Acrobat standard, and I I keep these documents where we load a lot of files into it. Because there's a bookmarking function in there, so you can open the bookmark on the side of the page, and you can have tabs for pleadings and correspondence and contracts and whatever. And I create this massive PDF document, and there's a little button in there. You click OCR, and you click and OCR the entire document. It may take an hour, but when it's done, you've got all of the key documents in one file searchable. Okay, so you can search it... Um, if you know a specific keyword that's in a document or um, also then go through by your bookmarks just to flip through to find certain documents. 
Yeah, if I want to find out, let's say a hurricane blows a building down, I want to know if there's a clause in there that deals with hurricanes. I can just type the word hurricane. It'll search the 100-page contract and find the one word for me. Excellent. And you've had pretty good success with it being accurate? Yeah. And the nice thing is it works on a Mac or a PC or any computer because, once again, it's this ubiquitous Adobe file. The only problem I've had is that sometimes when you put really big files into Adobe Acrobat, it barfs on them. You know, it just it just it it corrupts the file or something goes wrong and it just dies. So it's important that you save a backup. And uh, the way I do that is I keep extra copies of it. We just have the copy on the network, which is the one the whole staff works on. Then I keep a copy on my Mac, which is a separate backup. And then once it's OCR'd it and it's worked, is it the type of thing that you're prone to corruption later down the line? Or you either know, okay, it either worked or it corrupted it? It usually works or it corrupts it. Okay. And uh, interestingly, I have never had PDF Pen do that to a file. And uh, if you get the PDF Pen Pro version... You can actually, it sees the bookmarks you create in Adobe, so it works great. But you have to get the pro version for that. It's 100 bucks. So um, that's kind of my system when I need a big document and I use OCR. That's where I use it, is usually work-related stuff. In terms of my home stuff, you know, I know where the gas bills are. So if I need to see one, I don't need to use OCR to find it or find some specific entry. I can go back and open the file. Excellent. Yeah, unfortunately, we don't use OCR much at work, and quite frankly, we don't go paperless at, at work. I, I think people would probably try to freak out if I, I pose that. So um, we'll see. Hopefully as, as time goes on, we'll, we'll get a little more into the current century. Um, but I, I do use it a lot at home for more reference materials, but not so much for, you know, things that we've been talking about, like, you know, bills and statements and, and things like that. I am a, uh, I'm a minimalist. I love to not have a lot of stuff. And uh, the idea of getting rid of my paper, it just, it hits me at a key fundamental level, you know? It's very gratifying to hear that scan, uh, shredder. Yeah. Go. Well, I think we've kind of covered it. You know, at the end of the day, there's a lot of solutions on the Mac. I think we've, we've covered most of the big ones. But, you know, hearing all these problems and this specific libraries and everything, I still like my uh, nested folders. It's probably the safest way to go because you're, you've got complete control over the system and you're not locked into any type of proprietary format or any kind of system. Um, so definitely I think nested folders is the way to go, although certainly there are advantages to using some of these systems that are specifically designed for document management, like Neatworks, like Paperless, but just realize you're going to be in a bag of hurt one day if um, if the system is no longer supported um, or whatnot. I know we've all experienced that to some degree, you know, whether it was making the transition to OS X or making the transition to Intel, you know, a lot of those things that we use every day kind of got lagged behind. And uh, another discussion would be once you get this stuff in your nested folders, do you share it over a Dropbox or a, a cloud-based system? And for me, I do generally, but there are files that don't make it up there. Client files, taxes, things in the cloud. Right. Yeah, it's all about think, security and your level it. of comfort. I think we have. Yeah. Um, but we're not done yet because we have gotten so much feedback about our email show that we could not possibly respond to all of it. But um, I just wanted to say that I personally have been overwhelmed by the outpouring of support of people for this new podcast venture. I, I think we've hit a nerve. Um, I think we've hit something that people want to hear about. Um, so yeah, I'm very it's a little excited. intimidating, you know. 
Yeah, yeah. It's like we're Mac power users. We can't screw up. Yeah, that was the advice that Victor Callejo gave me. He's like, I think it's great. Don't screw up. I was like, gee, thanks, Victor. Appreciate it. He he meant it in the best possible way. Well, I don't plan on screwing up. So there you go. Well, I'm I'm sure I will from time to time. So just would ask that our listeners bear with us. Um, But let's. I I was saying that facetiously. Yeah. Yeah, Well, actually, speaking of screw ups, I already got several emails um, about email. Okay. And uh, one of them, somebody, uh, Eric, wrote and said, hey, you know, what about Thunderbird? You know, we talked about all the clients. We never mentioned Thunderbird. And uh, that's a application made by the Mozilla Group. And the reason I didn't talk about it is I just don't use it. And I don't know anybody that does. Right. And is Postbox the, uh, the new one that's coming out that's based on Thunderbird? I think uh, yeah. I, I've heard a lot of people have, use that who, have, who and like the, it. And they have the 3.0 Thunderbird beta that looks good. Um, if you're not happy with Apple Mail and you want to look at something different, go check out Thunderbird. Right. Yeah, sounds good. Uh, uh, listener Wayne wrote um, asking, talking about how do you forward your pop to your IMAP? And there are different ways. We, yeah. Depending on the application. It, it really and it and the service. Right. I mean, I, I my cable company is Cox Cable, and I went and looked at my. Uh, my web service and it's very simple there's a button there and that you have to go under settings and there's a forward button and then you just type in the email but i think it depends on the service you use most of them are web-based and if worse comes to worse i'd say just call them up right and you can use a web-based which i would kind of call a push method without actually talking about true push but uh you can use the web base my um my isp is comcast and they also have a web thing that says forward every email that i get from this account to another account most email service providers not all will have an option to forward messages you get to this account to another account you can usually check whether you want the messages to stay on the server or not um i i always check the the box don't because once it's forwarded onto my other account i don't want it taking up space. Uh, but you can also use the Gmail method that I kind of described, which is more of a pull, um, to pull messages that you, for whatever reason, can't otherwise forward from another account. And that's basically where you set up a Gmail account as an intermediary, or even Gmail if, if that's your main account. Um, and Gmail will check, I think it's up to five or seven external accounts and you can tell Gmail, leave a copy of the message there. No, bring the bring the copy and delete the original. Um, and then Gmail will will check on a rotating schedule, not every minute, um, but at least once an hour for new messages and pull those into your Gmail account. And then you can either have Gmail forward it off to something else like a mobile me, or if you use Gmail as your main account, then it's it's there in your Gmail inbox. We got another email talking about uh, email security, and this talking of me not screwing up. This was a massive one because I actually own PGP, and I do have a way of doing secure email, and just completely forgot to include that in the outline. But if you're concerned about having secure email, I think PGP is the way to go. Right, but the other thing to point out, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I don't have PGP, but aren't emails only going to be secure between you and I, David, if we both have PGP? Yes. But they are absolutely secure. Right. And you can also you know, I, use SSL if your email service provider offers it. Yeah, with SSL, what that does is it, it encrypts the mail over the air. Right. Okay. It, and, and through the connection to the, to the web. So if someone is actually watching the traffic. If you're at a Starbucks or some other kind of network where someone could be looking at your traffic. And then they can read the mail if you... In, in, if you uh, enable SSL, then they don't. They aren't able to read the mail. But the idea of PGP is is really um, 
it's encrypted all the way up, and it's not unencrypted until it gets back down to you. And it's expensive. I think it's about 120 bucks for a license. But if that is a serious problem for you, then I suggest by all means do it. Um, the a point I would make is that you know don't put anything in an email you don't want on the front page of the New York Times. Oh boy. Because I mean, once you send it out there, you never know where it's going to end up. And with our day jobs, I think you and I have both seen examples of that. Sure. Yeah. Somebody screws up and hits the reply all button. Somebody leaves. Somebody else has to go through their email to sort through things. Somebody forwards is, an or, email. Yeah. Or just the process of writing. Writing what you think sometimes is a big mistake. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, just writing like you were speaking with someone. You know, I, I told a friend recently who was having a, a personal dispute with somebody. He says, I'm going to write him an email. I said, no, you're not. I said, what you're going to do is you can call him up, you can go meet him, have a beer with him, scream at him, punch him in the nose, but you're not going to write him an email and say all these things because that email will still exist in 20 years. Right. And oh, and I, friend- I think we've all had that option where, you know, you get a nasty email from someone or you get a nasty blog comment or, you know, people will do a lot of things when there's this, this barrier between them and you, you know, that they wouldn't do in person or on the phone. Yeah, I've caught myself writing those once in a while. I actually am not that kind of person, but once in a while I'll catch myself writing something kind of snarky, and then I always read it before I send it, and I usually end up just clicking delete because it's just silly. But So that's that's a follow-up point on that. Uh, getting back to some of the other questions, uh, someone wrote in about server-side rules. Christoph actually had uh, several good comments. And uh, he said, hey, why wouldn't you just do everything server-side? That would make more sense because if you have multiple computers, you don't have to set them up more than once. And he's right. It but, would, uh, but MobileMe does not offer server-sized rules. Yeah, and, and Gmail does, but I, for a variety of reasons, I don't want to run my email through Gmail. And frankly, I don't mind setting up. I only have two computers, and if you use MobileMe, it actually syncs your mail rules. So once you set them up once, it's done on all your computers anyway. Um, we also got a lot of feedback on uh, Gmail and the way that Gmail handles labels and handles rules because Gmail, in terms of on the web interface, doesn't actually have a folder structure. It it, it uses a series of taggings, whereas we tend to use a series of folders. So, um, for example, everything in Gmail is archived if it's not in your inbox and you didn't delete it. And, you know, for example, David, anything that you would put in your action folder would still in Gmail show in your archive folder, but would have a little tag that says, you know, action if you synced uh, from your Mac to the Gmail web interface because Gmail just doesn't support folders. So a lot of that is kind of the wonkiness in the way that that Gmail uh, works. If you're using Gmail completely on email clients, like if you're using Gmail on multiple Macs, but you're only using it um, through Apple Mail or through something else, then you're you're not going to run into a lot of that label wonkiness. But uh, you will if you're going back and forth through the web interface. Yeah, and you know, it just comes back to our discussion. I think that Gmail's IMAP implementation is pretty new, and I think it's going to get better. And uh, but for now, there is a little bit of you know wonkiness, for lack of a better word. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's gonna gonna wrap this up. Um, we should probably let people know what we're doing next and how they can contact us to uh, send us questions and topic ideas for our next show. Yeah, and we've had great feedback on the first episodes concerning mail. Real happy, and I'd like to thank everyone who went ahead and put in comments in iTunes. Uh, it's really fun seeing in there. We even got on the new and notable list. Did you see that? We did. And uh, at one point, the day that we launched, I think we were the number three. Of course, we've 
we've dropped a little bit uh, since then. But um, we've been on that top 25 most days. That's excellent. Not that I'm checking it multiple times a day, every day, or anything like that. <laughs> the, um, so if you, want to con- if you want to contact us, you uh, send an email to feedback at MacPowerUsers.com. That's the best email because it goes to both of us. It goes to both of us. Um, sometimes David will respond. Sometimes I'll respond. Sometimes you may get a response from both of us. Um, but at least that, that gets the message into our workflow. Uh, you can also find us at Twitter. We're Twitter.com slash MacPowerUsers. And... Um, where else can you find us? Well, Kate? we have a web page. That's right, MacPowerUsers.com. There's a few comments on the uh, the posts for the various podcasts that have gone up. And you'll find also on that web page um, links to the items that we've discussed in our show notes. For example, um, today you'll see, or whenever we post this, you'll see uh, links to Paperless, links to Neatworks, links to Evernote. Um, so the big main topics that we've talked about in the show, there'll be links on our website where you can learn more about all of those things. And I'll also do a little tutorial posting on the um, PDF pen folder action and give the actual code for it. We'll put that up on the website. Oh, that would be great. So what's next? Syncing. Ugh. Why, why are you making funny noises? Oh, syncing. Syncing's hard. It's not that bad. It, it's a lot easier than it used to be. It is a lot easier than it used to be. But we'll talk about um, keeping computers in sync, keeping folders in sync, keeping documents in sync, uh, and all of that good stuff. So if you've got a method that really works for you, uh, send us an email, feedback at MacPowerUsers.com. We'd love to hear about it. Um, if you've got something that's a little wonky and doesn't work for you, we'd also like to hear about that. So send us in your syncing-specific questions, uh, solutions, uh, diatribes, whatever you want. Yes, and if you're feeling generous, give us a comment on iTunes. That would be great. We like iTunes comments, and they're extremely helpful um, as a new podcast to help us get featured and help us get noticed and help us get more listeners. All right, well, I guess that will about wrap it up. David, as always, it's a pleasure. Absolutely. Had a good time. I learned a lot. I did learn a lot. That's one thing I'm really enjoying about this podcast is the amount of research that we need to do um, you know, because we want to make sure that we get the best information out there. And uh, I, I learn something new every day when researching the show. Yeah, I always thought that I was pretty far down the geek path. But every time we declare one of these shows, it gives me an excuse to kind of go and revisit everything and go a little deeper. And I always learn new things. So that's, that's, I think, one of the best parts of doing this. Well, that's the purpose of the show. All right. Until next time. 